Hi, my name is Jordan, and you are listening to the Great Light Studios podcast. All the episodes you will hear on this podcast are the audio versions of the video content that you can find on the Great Light Studios YouTube channel. My goal with Great Light Studios is to do my part in critiquing and correcting what I consider to be harmful and false views of God, and to provide resources to help bring healing and freedom to those who have been spiritually and emotionally damaged by faulty religious doctrines, systems, or organizations. If you would like to help support me in continuing to produce this content, then you can find information about how to do that in the show notes of this episode. If you enjoy this content or benefit from it, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast? Positive reviews go a long way in helping to get this pushed out to more people. With all that said, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So before you listen to this episode, I wanted to give a little disclaimer. What you're about to listen to is part one of a two-part series about Michelle Colon's legal battles with the World Mission Society Church of God. These episodes were created as sort of documentary-style videos that were really intended to be watched on the YouTube channel rather than listened to. Both parts feature a variety of interviews from former members and clips of various people and voices talking throughout as well as audio clips from the court hearings. For those of you listening to the podcast version, it may be somewhat difficult to keep track of who is talking and when, since you won't be able to see. If you think that will be an annoyance for you as you listen through this, then you might want to just head over to the channel and watch the video version, which I'll link to in the show notes of this episode. If you don't think that will bother you, then feel free to stay here and listen. I just wanted to at least give you a heads up to let you know that you will be hearing multiple different voices throughout, in addition to myself and Michelle's. I've sort of been in the background for a long time, so... Recently, I heard a bunch of different stories from former members about what they heard about me and about the lawsuits, and I figured it was time for me to kind of come out and set the record straight because I heard so many different stories, and it was really weird, Um, the different things that they were told about the lawsuits and who sued who, and just a lot of details were sort of skewed, and um, I thought it would be a good idea for me to, to finally come out, you know, put my face out there and tell my story. The perception I had on Michelle Cologne when I was a member of the Church of God was that she was an evil spirit. I believe that she was Satan in the flesh. The way that I recall the WMS portraying Michelle Cologne was that she was selfish, she was jealous of the church, trying to steal her husband, she was this scorned woman, um, blaming the church for her failed relationship. They say that she was just a bitter ex-wife, that she herself and her actions caused the friction between her and her husband. Public enemy number one, uh, we all know who Michelle Colon is by now. How I was personally introduced to her was... She was damn near Satan. They painted Michelle in this light that she wanted money from the church. She was coming after them to sue them, that she fell in love with the world, loved to party, 
So the story or narrative that I heard about Michelle Cologne was that she was getting out of a relationship of a brother that wanted to follow father mother and wanted to do the will of God and that she could not accept that. So because of that reason, because he had decided to stay in the church and she left and he didn't want to go with her, that that is the reason why she started to make these videos and ultimately go against God. So we painted her in our mind as this woman who's, um, she's bitter, she lost her husband and it was all because of her own actions. She's emotionally disturbed. My first impression at least was that of course she was the devil. She was the one, she was the, the prowling lion prowling around <laughs> waiting to devour God's children. <laughs> so ridiculous. Thinking back at it. Honestly, like when I looked at her, I, you know, she was on like a, a different, like an NBC special or something. And whenever we looked at her, like I had such anger towards her because of the way that they described her and they described the things that she was doing. And I just felt like, lady, move on. What's kind of the main story, I guess, that you've heard that members were told about you? Um, I mean, it varied a little bit, but it seemed like the general theme was that, you know, I was a scorned wife and that was my motivation behind it. And it wasn't really the church that destroyed my marriage that I did. You know, they didn't give any of the information about, you know, what was actually going on behind the scenes with their marriage. But they just said that, you know, she was actively attacking him and attacking the church and that she caused all the problems in her marriage. In Denver, there were many seminars and many um, educations that were held to go through the examining site and one by one, we would go through each article in a big group and then we would discredit each one and we would understand why each article was false. So when I was a member of the Royal Mission Society Church of God, not only did they have the staff of Moses where they had all these countermeasures to defend their doctrine versus anyone that had questions about it, uh, they also had the internet slander, uh, topics to cover. Probably the first time I heard about her was during a series of seminars that the LA branch was having. Where I was, there was more focus on the information is false and here is why. And they were all, they were called countermeasures and they were all against everything that were, that was on this website. We were all shocked because the story blew up so big and we weren't used to, at the time, anything blowing up that big. We heard all these big rumors and there was these formal conversations. Uh, about it from the church leaders. Yeah, we were basically going over some court cases that were going on at the time. And yeah, it was basically a smear campaign against uh, not only Michelle Cologne, but uh, Professor Tark in Korea um, and just any slanders that were going against the Church of God, the Wimscog at the time. In my mind, I had always thought that it was somebody from Korea, like a, some kind of troll, somebody who had some kind of beef with the church. They just made it seem like whoever was behind the website had a personal, you know, vendetta against the church, and that's why they created the website. And in doing that, they even 
posted articles on one of their websites um, that all of us were instructed to read. It was this huge, like, five, six-part um, article. In my mind, it was just some Korean troll in their dark basement creating all these lies about the church. That was my perception. Their cover picture of this story was this bride in her wedding dress, and she was, like, angrily looking at her husband and, like, beating him with flowers um, and screaming. And the husband is, like, in his tuxedo, and he's on the ground, like, protecting himself and he's like a big victim and <laughs> it just painted this horrible picture of Michelle. Anyone who talked against the church or posted anything on the internet against the church, any kind of videos, we looked at them all as Satan, as evil spirits, the worst of the worst. You didn't even know these people, but that is just what you assume, you know, with the thinking that father, mother, or God, anyone that speaks out against this, you know, true church has to be Satan. It has to be of the devil. When you're a member of the church, you were told that the internet is full of uh, what they call slander against the church, which is anything that speaks negatively about the church, its teachings, its practices, um, whether it's true or not, they call everything negative or critical of the church uh, slander. We were basically told that anybody that was going against father and mother or saying anything against the church was part of Satan's scheme and Satan himself. And it was part of the work of the evil spirits trying to deceive father and mother's children once again here on this earth. And it was like the Judas Iscariot. And they say that if you go online and you look this up, then you are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, meaning that you will surely die physically, spiritually, go online, look up anything critical of the church, you're dead. That's it, you know, game over. And uh, we were very scared because we didn't want to go to hell. And the only source of information that we could have would be whatever the church said. So that is the reasoning that they gave to us in order to think that Michelle and anyone that spoke against the church was just, you know, horrible people. But why would you even, why wouldn't that be sufficient as a member of the church? Because in your mind, you know, you believe 100% that this is the church that God is in. So what perspective is more valuable than God's perspective? You know, the internet is just ran by human beings and human beings are full of fault and full of lies and uh, deceit and a human being can't bring you to the kingdom of heaven, but only God can. So when you're in the church, he's like, well, what else matters? You know, I, I got everything I need. You know, the information that I receive here is more than enough. You know, you don't want to go look up more information and go to hell because you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, now looking back, I could see that the church is not a church that's ran by God. The church that they have, the World Mission Society, is a church ran by human beings. They do that for every member that leaves. They say they didn't have enough oil of faith to make it to the very end. They say that they fell in love with the world. They never had true faith. One of the last services that I went to talked about that true faith is blind obedience, basically. That people of high faith don't ask questions. They just blindly obey. They weren't even trying to like sugarcoat the words at all <laughs> and i'm yeah, just like they weren't what? trying to make it sound nice they're just, they're just saying it and it's like come on you know anyone that was a member of the church of god 
you know that members that come in, leaders that are within the church, they do give it their all. They bear fruit. So at the end of the day, is that really true then? If you're bearing fruit? You know, I didn't bother to look into it. Why? They're evil spirits. They're being controlled by Satan. So my in my thinking, it was anything that they have to say, it's not worth listening to because we have the perfect truth and we just have to continue to follow blindly and just believe what the World Society Church of God is teaching us. They have to be true and everyone else is lying. And some were even told that I sued the church initially, which wasn't true. It was a huge lie that they say that former members come and sue the church. It's actually the other way around. And this has been confirmed by the Church of God on live television. The World Mission Society Church of God sued Michelle Cologne. Why? Well, um, I don't really have the details of the case or, um, you know, I'm not kind of a legal representation of the church. So I can't really talk about that. And missionary John Powers even on record when the reporter asked him, hey, so you want to talk about these court cases? Why are you going after and suing former members and even brought up Michelle's name? And they said no comment, no comment. We have a lawyer for the church in the room. Could you answer that question, sir? So no comment on the yeah. litigation? No comment. Two lawsuits against Michelle Cologne were dismissed. Nothing to say about the fact that they were dismissed by the courts? And, and this, I'm not commenting on, but it's just factually accurate. She's Michelle Cologne sued the church, and the church sued Michelle Cologne. In that order? Uh, Michelle, the church sued Michelle Cologne first, and Michelle Cologne sued the church first. So the church did sue Michelle Cologne first, then Michelle Cologne sued the church. Just to reiterate what you just said. And you don't want to elaborate on why the church decided to sue her? Uh, no. I understand. So if you were the ones that were in the right, right, you were telling the truth to myself, as well as other members, that former members are the ones that come and sue the church, then on record, you should have said, actually, that's not true. We're in a court case right now. Our lawyers are handling it. And at the end of the day, we are the ones that are defending the church because they are coming to sue us. But no, there was just no comment. I had heard two different versions of the story, one that the church was being sued, and then later on about how the church was actually the one suing. Uh, and as a member, when I heard these uh, two different versions, you know, I must have, you know, the, I do, I did what I usually would do in a situation where I had contradictory information is just say, oh, you know, I'm a sinner. I must have misunderstood, you know, something must be wrong with my understanding because, you know, these things, they don't add up. Even though I definitely heard one, I must have, you know, misinterpreted uh, something. I must have misunderstood something and took the blame upon myself for why I had these contradictory pieces of information that didn't add up. And when you read all the documentations, the court filings of all the court cases from the World Mission Society Church of God, they go and try and silence their critics, especially Michelle Cologne. In hindsight, you see that they were trying to get ahead of a story um, that Michelle was exposing them for. I believe the reason the World Mission Society Church of God went after Michelle Cologne 
is the same reason that they went after anyone else that would go against the World Missionary Church of God. It's because that's what cults do. They they have to stop the the passing of information. They don't want any negative light that's being shed on them to be out in the open where someone can see. They're trying to cover their tracks. And so that is the best way to do it is by scaring people and putting lawsuits on them and um, telling them that if they're gonna sue them for endless amount of money and that's a way for people to be scared and drop the lawsuits. But really, I didn't realize that uh, they went after her life. They really tried to silence her and they tried to shut her up. And, you know, they are the ones who aggressively went after her. She really stood up to them. And that was at the time when the church, the Wimscog, the cult, really thought that they could shut people up just by threatening them in court. Anyone can say that they would do what she did, but it is very hard to you know, be put in that situation and react the way that she did and hold her ground. That was really you know, amazing and encouraging because she stood up to this organization who was trying to bully her and make her, you know, basically take everything down, all the information and everything that, you know, she worked hard to expose this cult. You know, they were trying to shut everything down and, you know, intimidate her and she wouldn't back down. So when I came out years later, I saw her picture and I realized who Michelle was. I sort of pieced together some of the things and that she was behind the examining site. And it was, it was a shocking moment because I had no idea that it was going to be a woman. I honestly did not expect it to be a woman who was really in this battle, who was being sued you know, by the church and she was defending herself. That's amazing to me because that paved the way for a lot of the people that are, you know, speaking out against the church of God. That encourages us to really, you know, push forward with this. And I can't imagine everything that she went through, all the sleepless nights. And I could just imagine all the money that was spent on, you know, trying to fight this case. And I'm very thankful to her because that's really, that's really amazing what she did. Michelle Cologne. Many of you probably are familiar with that name and know about the huge contributions she's made in fighting back against the World Mission Society Church of God and the harm that this organization causes to so many individuals, relationships, and families. For those of you who are not familiar with Michelle, she's a former member who after leaving the church created a website to critique the WMSCOG to share about her personal experiences in the church and to expose the many lies and falsehoods that this organization is built upon. In December of 2011, Michelle's boldness to speak out led to the WMSCOG filing a multi-million dollar lawsuit against Michelle, alleging defamation among other claims. Rather than giving in to the WMSCOG's attempts to silence her, she chose to take a stand and has been engaged in legal battles with them ever since. I want to personally say thank you to Michelle because I think in many ways, uh, it's because of her willingness to stand up against the WMSCOG and to not give in to their bullying tactics to try to silence her 
that has now allowed people like myself and other former members to come onto platforms like Great Light Studios or other public places like uh, YouTube channels and things like that to share their experiences, to critique this group, to share our real uh, problems that we see with this group and to not have to fear retaliation from the WMSCOG in the form of lawsuits. To those in the WMSCOG, Michelle is a bitter ex-wife or a slander or demon who's attempting to pull people away from the supposed truth of God. But to many, many people on the outside, Michelle has played a crucial role in providing information that allowed them to finally think for themselves and to see the WMSCOG for what it truly is, a high demand, high control, deceptive and manipulative cult group that is masquerading as the one true church of God. In the next couple of videos, you're gonna be able to hear from Michelle herself as she shares about her experiences with the WMSCOG and discusses her legal battles with the church. If you're a current member of the WMSCOG, I really encourage you to lay aside your assumptions and all the things that your church has told you about Michelle. Let her speak for herself. Listen to her story and maybe for the first time, examine the evidence for yourself, then come to your own conclusions. I'm convinced that if you do that in an honest way, you're gonna see that there's a lot more to this story than what you've been told. There are always two sides to every story and you've allowed the WMSCOG to share their side of the story. The right thing to do, the commendable thing to do is to now allow Michelle to share hers. I've sort of been in the background for a long time Recently, I heard a bunch of different stories from former members about what they heard about me and about the lawsuits, and I figured it was time for me to kind of come out and set the record straight because I heard so many different stories and it was really weird, um, the different things that they were told about the lawsuits and who sued who, and okay. just a lot of details were sort of skewed, and um, I thought it would be a good idea for me to, to finally come out, you know, put my face out there and tell my story. I joined in October of 2009. I was a member up until April 22nd of 2011. I started working on the website with Tyler Newton. He was the one that originally had registered the website back in February of 2011. Before that, there was um, a website called Cult Watch um, on Sang Hong, something to that effect, that we later found out was a, a website that the church created as a fake anti-website. But at the time, we thought that the website was authentic and it was helping people because people were networking and I went on there and was like looking for help because of everything that was going on within my marriage because of the church. And then the site sort of was taken down with a message saying that, you know, suggesting that it was because of some legal issues that they got into with the cult. So that, they, you know, I think they did that on purpose to scare people from speaking out. So we continued with the examining site then sort of where that site left off because it left like a void. There was no real place for anyone to go to talk to anyone else who had been in the same situation or who was struggling with a family member who was in the cult or, you know, had been in or knew someone who was in or anything like that. So we thought that it was important to have you know, a place for people to do that. So we created the forum on the website as well for people to be able to network and share their stories and have discussions. And then the rest of the website was just, you know, we writing articles about their, their studies and, you know, misinterpretations or the way they would make up historical facts that weren't accurate to support their their doctrine, you know, things like that. As we as we found more things, we added more things to the website. So that, that all started in February, but because of the fake website, they were able to sort of track my 
movements around online because they used my email and password that I used to sign up for the fake website. Normally, when you sign up for a website, like, for example, the examining site, you put your email and a password. We can't see your password. So if you lose your password, we can reset it for you, but we can never recover your old one. We can't tell you what it is because it's encrypted. So from what I understand, the encryption on that website was turned off. Um, they wanted to see people's email and passwords because typically people before would, I mean, this is back in 2011, um, would use the same password for multiple accounts. Mm -hmm. So by trial and error, they sort of logged into other accounts that I had online where they figured that I was speaking out. So um, in April of 2011, they confronted my ex-husband and I about my online activity. But that says a service mm -hmm. where you announced okay. it. And is, I remember hearing about that, but I wasn't Is, is your email mc underscore nurse yeah. at hotmail.com? That's my personal email. Yeah, that is the email that, is, that, that was written from. Sent to who? I don't understand. In, in the 13th of this month, in the Red Cross, for more information on the Women's Society to cast postdoctoral visit, examining the the WMSCOG.com and countering on something.blogspot.com. You didn't write that? No. Then somebody had your email, and somebody's using your email to post things in the internet. Okay. Because it was <laughs> it was somebody logging in with your email. So this is why while you were still in the church. Yeah, this is the last day uh, that I was there. Um, I had already expressed my doubts before. I had tried meeting with the pastor and a couple of, you know, of the leadership to answer my questions. They offered the meeting and I left with more questions. And that was the day the pastor lied to me about a translation in the book. I had a question about something that Ansang Ho had written. And when the story didn't make sense or he sort of ran out of excuses that nothing would sort of satisfy me, his last resort was to tell me that the translation from Korean to English was not correct. And he, um, and I had the, the one that's like half Korean and half English. Mm -hmm. So I was like determined to find out what that word meant, you know, if it was what he said, what it meant, or if it meant something else. And I found out that he lied to me. So that was like a big deal for me. Um, and when I confronted my husband with that, you know, he said, well, he lied to you to save you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that shouldn't be necessary. You know, that, that just felt really wrong. And I, I, I struggled so much with trying to understand why he thought that that was okay. You know, um, I was like, well, why, why would he need to lie to me to save me? If you think that Ansang Hong is God, then why, like, you know, lying about God's words seems like not the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, how do you save someone with a lie? So that's where the whole righteous lie thing came from. And um, so things sort of spiraled from there. Um, and in that meeting that we had, it was the pastor, me, Raymond, and my ex-husband. They asked me to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which basically said that I couldn't talk about the church anymore, anywhere. I could only discuss the church with my with my husband at the time. Then, then if you want to do that, I guess you can sign that with no problem. It's a contract. Now, yeah. no one in their right mind will sign a contract with any organization unless they have their interests reviewed by their own lawyer. You can read it. Um, right. And if you want me to sign it, I'll take it home. I'll have a lawyer review it, and then I'll bring it back to you signed. If that's okay with you. Uh, I'm waiting for you to show me. The After you sign it, we'll show you. I'm not under the obligation to sign it, and then you show We're me. Not the you're to show you. First of all, hold on. You're accusing me of writing something, and if you're going to do that, 
You should show some proof. Once you sign that, then we'll show you the proof. Um, and I refused to sign it. Um, and they told me I couldn't come back. That's like the short version of the story. <laughs> so. Okay. I mean, you guys are entitled okay. to your opinion, so believe yeah. that I wrote that, that's fine. <laughs> but if you're going to tell him that I, I can't come back because I definitely the, wrote it and there was come, evidence you, you and there were facts and proof, listen, that opinion comes I don't up, see that. Why should I teach you? Going back to the, the site, you said that was called Cult Watch. And so this is, if I understand correctly, this is the site that was for, I think this might be new for a lot of people, um, mm -hmm. but this was the site, right, that was being controlled by the WMSCOG that was kind of pretending to be an anti-WMSCOG site, but in reality, it was just uh, deceiving people into uh, coming to the site mm -hmm. um, to get their information. So it was really taking advantage of of people's like doubts and questions, people who would go mm -hmm. to the internet to look for answers to to the things they were struggling with, uh, obviously members of the WMSUG who are going to the internet. Mm -hmm. and, and they were using that site to steal people's information and then hack into different things. So what, I, what was, I guess, what was like their, their what, what would they do with that information? What would they do with the, the passwords? And if they found out who was doing that, like what was their ultimate goal with that? So, in my case, for example, it was to cause division between my husband and I at the time, you know, um, but from what I understand, you know, there were parents writing in concerned about their children who had become members of the church and mm -hmm. they were looking for help from a site that they thought was there to help them. The, the information on the site basically said a lot of what they sued me for saying later on. So it accused the WMS of being a cult. I believe it even talked about the bite model and about An Sang Hong not really being God. And so when you read it, you would think that, you know, it's a site that was not pro the WMS. <laughs> um, it seems right. to be very much against it, you know, that they destroy families, etc. So, you know, finding this out later when they sued me for saying the same exact things was kind of a shock to the system because although I, I had suspected it later, that that's how they got my email and my passwords. It, when it was confirmed, it was still kind of hard to to believe, right? That the church would do something like that. Like why why do they need to be so deceptive and mm -hmm. so intrusive? And I think that that's, that's a major problem there, that there are no boundaries, that the church feels like they have the authority to interfere wherever they want to. Yeah. Um, whether it's in a marriage or in the relationship between siblings or between parents and their children, um, because the ends justify the means, right? So if they think that they're saving the person, it doesn't matter what happens with everybody yeah. else. So no matter how quote unquote sinful even their means are, um, mm -hmm. you know they can they can utilize any sort of just lack of integrity in the way they're just operating and, and, and functioning and they justify it by um, saying, you know, they're saving souls. And so it reminds me of like a very insecure person, somebody who's just so insecure deep down and, and so narcissistic and wanting to maintain their image, but mm -hmm. knows like deep down at their core, they know that they're, they're, they're fake and phony deep down mm -hmm. inside. So they, they have to do whatever they can to keep up that image. What, no matter how, you know, again, how much of their, their integrity and character they have to throw out uh, on the way to do that.
Right. And I also think it's not just their image, but also the power and the control over the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, if they decide that they want to keep a member in, then they're going to do whatever they need to do to do that. And I think that in my specific situation, um, during that meeting, the pastor made it very clear that if I continue to speak online, that my relationship with my husband at the time would not continue. He would say things like, well, how could he be with you if that's you talking about the church? So although he wasn't coming right out and saying he's going to leave you, it's it was very much suggested. Um, it was obvious to me anyway. So I think that when I continued to speak out about them after that, they made it very clear that I chose to do that and that, you know, that was going to be my punishment was that they were going to turn him against me and ultimately, you know, convince him that I was possessed by the devil and that I was trying to take him away from his salvation and that he could no longer be with me. Um, And he believes it, you know. So at that time, you know, it took a while to accept it, but I had to, you know, they won (laughs) when it came to that, right? But it it became something a lot bigger than my ex-husband, a lot bigger than our marriage, a lot bigger than just my membership there because I realized how many people they were hurting. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just him. You know, I'd read other stories online that had been sort of buried online. <laughs> you know, they were hard to find, but they were there. Similar stories to what I had experienced and seen uh, at the church. So my my goal at that time was just to warn as many people as I could to have a resource out there for people who were wanting to know more about the church or wanting to know more information that they perhaps were not going to get inside of the church. You know, because it's very one-sided when you're there. You only hear the positive things or only what they want you to know and when they want you to know it. The, the control of information is intense. And they tell you not to go to the internet because the internet is the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll never forget when I first heard that. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, it just, when you start doubting after a while, the things that they tell you sound more and more ridiculous. And you, it, mm-hmm. it gets to a point where you can't ignore it anymore. And when one of the last conversations I had with my, who would later become my ex-husband, unfortunately, You know, he was very convinced that the world was going to end in 2012. Um, The last conversation I had with him was in 2011. And he told me, he's like, you know, our marriage doesn't matter because, you know, father's coming soon. And and I said to him, well, do you really believe that that world's going to end in 2012? And he said, well, maybe even this year. So there was still this sense of urgency that it could be any time even before 2012. Yeah. And he was very much stressed out about it and very anxious about this happening. Um, And I I remember asking him, I said, well, what are you going to do if that doesn't happen? Like, what if the world doesn't end in 2012? And in 2013, we're still here. In 2014, let's say. And he says, well, I don't believe that that's going to happen. He wouldn't even entertain the thought. And that's when I really knew that, like, he was completely gone, that nothing I was going to say to him, was going to change his mind. And I remember one of the last meetings that I had with the pastor before that, (laughs) where they kicked me out, I asked him to tell me what his interpretation was of what the Bible said about marriage. 
and he wouldn't answer me. And I'm like, he's like, well, I can't interfere in your relationship. Like, I can't give you opinion. I'm like, I said, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, what does the Bible say about marriage? And his ultimate answer to me was, what difference does it make if you're both going to die? And I was there with my husband at the time. And, and I hear my husband like agreeing with him. He's like, yeah, what difference does it make if we're both going to die? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it was, it was heartbreaking to hear because not because what I, I thought what the pastor was saying was ridiculous, but to hear like my husband at the time, just kind of co-signing on everything. I agree with that. Yeah. Right. And just he, like, he had already, you know, accepted that as um, true yeah. for him. It was very hurtful and difficult to hear mm -hmm. at the time because I'm just I like, imagine, yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> You know, and, you know, I had read a lot about what the Bible said about marriage when all of this was going on, because I'm like, OK, what's happening here? Is this what how it's supposed to be? Like, I thought I had read that, you know, the non-believing spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. And clearly that's not what we're seeing here. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, you know, I read everything I could find in the Bible about marriage because, you know, they make you doubt your own interpretation of what you read because they're so sure about everything that they say and how they say it right so um that's just such a such a good example of how they're just you know they again that this group constantly claims to be so you know have the bible as such a central thing to their doctrines and beliefs and and to be the one the one group that really gets the bible right and it's like mm -hmm. you know they're 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 passionate about the bible in as much as it's as concerning the verses and passages that that they can manipulate and twist to further their agenda but but they don't they don't touch the stuff like that i mean it, it mm -hmm. you could you could give a bible to anybody and say hey take this and figure out what what do you think this says about marriage and um it, it, it's it's not something that's you know super vague or unclear that's i i would say that's one of the more pretty straightforward things in the Bible. It's, it's doesn't, it's not too hard to find out what, you know, the Bible says God thinks about, you know, divorce and, and faithfulness and things like that. And so it's just, it's just kind of a bizarre thing, I guess, coming um, even myself from like a, a, you know, a different Christian stream, but the way I've kind of been brought up in, in the Bible and, and all that is just the, the importance of, of marriage and faithfulness and all that was just so emphasized that it's, it's, it's still, it's just a little bit shocking to a degree to hear just how, um, they so quickly pass over that. And, and it's just, um, the, the moment marriage gets in the way of their agenda, marriage is just expendable it's like well just toss it this this doesn't matter and so it's just yeah yeah it's just kind of a, a bizarre thing to hear that from a group that claims to to have such a reverence for the bible yeah and i remember saying to the pastor like you know you talk about the passover being a covenant but marriage is a covenant also exactly so how, yeah. so how is one necessarily more important than the other and they couldn't really answer me you know yeah. It just really became That's clear. a great question. Yeah. So I'm like, it, it, it's a covenant. It's a covenant, right? So that's a promise. And that's something that you enter to. And, you know, and as much emphasis as they put on the covenant, you know, the Passover, but not all the other ones, just this yeah. one, you know, because this is the one we yeah. care about. And not only that, but when when we finally got, when the divorce was final, 
four months later, they had arranged him to somebody else. So he was already remarried. Um, wow. So the way that they, they manipulate people's relationships and yeah. just, you know, shuffle people around however they feel they want to, you know, we already know it's like an established fact. They do arrange marriages, right? <clears throat> but if you <clears throat> come to the church, from what I've heard, with somebody that they don't necessarily think is a good match for you, they will try to break you up and, you know, arrange you with somebody else who they think that you're more suited to be with for your faith. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the way that you as an individual were treated in that, that scenario, you know, if, if the way you're interpreting the Bible and if your your religion results in you treating people the, the way that they treated you, and there's just such a, a, a heartlessness to that, just such a, just a lack of just common sense empathy and, and um, you know, to, to like, so focus on doctrine to the like degree that you're, you're like just completely devastating relationships. And then, and then putting that person with, with another four months later, uh, just the whole, the whole scenario is just in itself such a huge red flag uh, and, mm -hmm. and just so clearly demonstrates just how, um, at the core of this group is just so messed up. Yeah. I, I think it's toxic, honestly. It's toxic for people, for individuals, toxic to relationships, toxic to families, as much as they argue otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when I was first having doubts and I got called into the meeting with the pastor and the leadership. They're like, you know, always ask questions. If you have questions, just come to us with the questions and we'll answer them, you know, right away and all this other stuff. Right after that meeting, there was a service. And in that meeting, the pastor made an announcement like at the end. He said, you know, if you're new here and you haven't done all your studies, then yes, you can ask as many questions as you want. But if you've done all of the basic studies and you have questions, you're stupid. Who do you think he was talking to? He's talking to me. Mm -hmm. Because I had done all of the studies already. So, you know, a few minutes ago or an hour ago, maybe, you were telling me that it was good that I was asking questions and that you were encouraging it. And here you are now saying the opposite. So there's a lot of like hypocrisy there. They say one thing, do something different or say one thing and then Still later talk. say something else. You're right. Just the gaslighting. Right. So they yeah. make you think you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they make you doubt yourself and your own thoughts. There's a lot of Cause that. Then that's, that's one of those scenarios then where if you probably, I don't know if you did, but if you would have approached him and said, Hey, like I thought you said, it's okay to ask questions, but then it's like, you're telling me, you know, I shouldn't. And, and he would gaslight you then be like, well, I didn't say you, you can't ask questions. Like I, you know, he'd come <laughs> up with some excuse. Like I was talking to the group and had nothing to do, you know? So, yeah. No, I, I, I can't I, imagine I, how frustrating I was that so was. Embarrassed at that moment because it was in front of everyone, mm -hmm. and I, I, I at no point felt that there was ever any privacy there. Like I don't think I could ever have a, a conversation with the pastor that other people weren't going to be informed about. You know, then there was a group of us there. Raymond was there. Victor was there. Um, the pastor, my husband too. And they quickly realized that I was the one with the questions or my ex-husband just sat there, you know, he was more devastated about the doubts that I was having and the doubts that he was even having at the time. 
and they quickly realized that he was the weaker target, I think, and they just kind of zeroed in on him. Yeah, they're just, it's so toxic, it's so malicious, and it's so hurtful, you know? It's either you fall in line with what they tell you to do, or they're gonna, they're gonna retaliate in one way or another. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you know, how do they keep people in? If it's not with yeah. threats of, you know, burning in hell for all of eternity, it's- Which you're they will use. <laughs> Right. You're going to get into accident if you leave here. You're going to get cancer or, you know, and just the way that they treated me after I started having the doubts, like they, they were very like, um, they ostracized me. And I remember talking to my husband about it and saying, you know, why are they doing that? Why are they treating me differently? Why are they keeping me away from everybody else? And he quoted a verse, um, in, I believe it was second Timothy about something spreading like cancer. Gangrene. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that that's what I was doing. <laughs> that my doubts were going to spread like cancer or gangrene or whatever yeah. disease that is referenced. <clears throat> and I looked at him and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like here yeah. they tell me I can ask whatever questions I want, but also keep your mouth shut so that other people don't ask those questions. Yeah. And if you, you can ask all the questions you want, but if you ask questions, <laughs> we're going to shame you and make you right. feel sub, you know, spiritual and less than and and like you're doing something really wrong so yeah. they also like used my ex-husband to emotionally blackmail me too because there was one you know a few months before that last meeting where i got kicked out i didn't want to go anymore and so one day when i was at work he moved out like suddenly and i got home and he was gone and i was like devastated and i'm like calling him and all this stuff and he only agreed to come back home if I agreed to go to one service at least every Saturday. And I'm like, come on, you know? <laughs> so I agreed because obviously I didn't want him to leave, right? And it was really hard because going there, I felt, ugh, I hated it. <laughs> at that point, it just felt so wrong to even be there. And then... It's weird because after I sort of like snapped out of it, right? And started to actually really listening to what they were saying. At that point when you when you really like snap out of it and you wake up and you really start to see what's going on around you, it is so uncomfortable to be there. It's so it's just so much anxiety. And I couldn't wait to leave. It was torture. And then they would um I call it like a it's like a destabilization, right? So the, the seating arrangements are always assigned women on one side, men on the other, as long as I had been there for over a year at that point. And that day that I come back for that one service every Saturday that I agreed to, they sat me in the back of where the, the on the men's side next to my husband. So I'm like, wait, what's going on? Right. So it's like, my husband on one side of me and then like the deaconess that was in charge of like watching over me and then you know his handler on the other side and that was just so bizarre to me and i asked her the deaconess that was always with me i said why are why are we sitting together i wasn't i, I liked it it was great to finally sit next to my husband for a service <laughs> but i knew that it wasn't being done because they thought that i would enjoy sitting next to him right so i asked you know well what's going on she's like oh no you know sometimes husband and wives sit together and i'm like they 100 do not i've never seen that here in the entire year and a half or more that i've been here 
but that's that gaslighting thing. Like, I know I've never seen that. How are you telling me that sometimes that happens? That's yeah. never happened. <laughs> we don't even do studies together unless it's like a big group church study. But even still, the men and the women are seated separately. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of looked at her like, okay, you know. And then the next time that I went for that one Saturday, one service a Saturday that I agreed to, I was expecting to sit next to my husband and I kept asking for him and no one knew where he was. And so this time they were going to throw me off again and now throw me back to the, where the women were, but they were going to seat me in between that deaconess and then a missionary so that I wouldn't be able to talk to anybody. And it, it was that constant, like, we're going to show you exactly how much control we have over you and make you as uncomfortable as possible to see if you finally break and you submit. Right. Because I think that that's what they wanted. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people when they go through that, where you never know what it is that you have to do to be saved, let's say in this example, or to keep the pastor happy or to keep the pastor from rebuking you in front of people or to, you know, prevent getting in trouble or whatever it is, because they're always changing the rules. You know, at one time they taught that 2012 was going to be the end. And then they told everybody, no, we never said that. While there were people who were preparing for the end of the world and were told by cases of water, do this, do this, do that, because the world's going to end in 2012. Then we're later told we never said that. And so I think that groups like this will do that until you just submit and say, OK, just tell me what you want me to do. And so you just give up thinking anymore. You mm -hmm. now, now you become that blindly obedient robot for lack of a better way to describe it because it's just easier that way than to be rebuked or to have to think and have those uncomfortable feelings when you see things that don't make sense or that contradict what you've seen before or heard before. Um, so that it's a very systematic process of breaking somebody down. And I think that once they achieve that, they can do with that person whatever they want, you know? And it's really sad, really sad. In including taking their money and taking them from their families. Um, yeah. yeah. So what what were some of the, um, and, and, and in a minute, I would, I would be interested to hear maybe kind of going back to the beginning of your story and how you got in there in the first place. Mm -hmm. But what, you, you talked about having doubts and that your husband uh, at the time was having his own doubts. And so kind of what were some of the, like the main things that were um, causing you to doubt? And then I'm curious, like mm -hmm. if you knew what was, what were some of the things causing your husband to doubt? And then how did, I know you, you've mentioned that the leaders didn't answer a lot of your questions, but did mm -hmm. they answer any of them or was it kind of always just gaslighting and, and dodging so, the questions. I noticed that when we got back from our honeymoon, um, the pressure to give more time and money became much more intense. And it made me uncomfortable because I noticed that slowly there was more pressure to recruit. There was more pressure to be there every day. And I was seeing less and less of my husband after the, um, the honeymoon. So that's what sort of made me say, wait a minute, something's not right here. Like it doesn't seem like how it was before. I don't think that they had turned up, you know, the intensity to like a thousand until we got back. 
And that's what, what what finally caused me to try to look them up online in the first place. I realized that until then, I had never even thought of doing it before. So I was shocked to find out that they had ruined people's relationships. And I did read a few things and I printed them out. And I, I called my husband that day and I said, look, he was in the middle of a fast, a three-day fast. And I said, after work, can you please just go straight home? I have some really important things to show you. So I didn't tell him over the phone. And when he got home, it was a Tuesday um, because we were going to go to service that night. And I showed him the information that I had found about what other people said and what other people had gone through and things like that. And he said to me, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that we were like taken advantage of like this. He said, I feel so lost now. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, it's sad because there's like I met some really like nice people there and I don't believe that these they are did things that. he was saying mm-hmm. he's like you know I don't I don't see them doing these things on purpose um maybe they don't know like he was having a real struggle um mm-hmm. at, that, at that moment and he was starving and so was I so we ended up going out to eat and not going to the service that night and of course they noticed because as soon as the service time was over, his handler was texting him and mine was texting me like, you know, what happened? You guys didn't come to service. And that's when we said that we had read some things online and we were not coming back. And that's when they asked um, for us to come in and, and ask all of our questions. And I had a ton of questions written down. And one of my big things was that in the Bible, it said that, you know, Jesus, during the Feast of Tabernacles, he was sort of traveling um, and An Sang Hong wrote that that Jesus preached every day during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the two stories were different. Because in the Bible, it talks about how he was he knew that people were out to get him, and he sent his brothers ahead to the feast. He's like, I'm not going to go now. You guys go ahead. And he sort of went behind them hiding. And I'm like, okay, so if Jesus is God and An Sang Hong is God, why are they telling two versions of the same story? And because of the emphasis that World Mission puts on the feasts, that's what made me focus on it so much and Mm -hmm. the the difference between the two stories. I'm like, well, they both can't be true. Either he, you know, because the observance of the feast is super important for them. So either he observed the feasts every day or he didn't. And if he didn't, then what the WMS says isn't true, right? And we don't have to do all these Old Testament feasts. Like that would be proof to me that, that wasn't Jesus's message. And so actually funny, I looked up online how many days it would take to walk from, I forget what city Jesus was in to the city where the the feast was being held. And I can't remember how many miles it was and how many days it said it would take to get there. And I'm like, he 100% was not preaching the whole time on the way there. He couldn't (laughs) have been right. It was physically impossible. Right. And so, um, you know, of course, Jesus could have flown there, whatever, but it doesn't say that. So I'm going by what it says in the Bible. And they were like, well, no, because, you know, Jesus, the whole point of him was to preach every day. And I said, I remember saying to the person in the room, I'm like, do you understand that it says in the Bible, people were trying to kill him and he purposely sent his brothers ahead so that he could go behind them and sort of hide and not be detected. Right. Mm hmm. So I said, you know, if you knew that there was a warrant out for your arrest, would you be going to every like 
city center and standing there and yelling out to people, whatever your doctrine is or what, you know, drawing attention to yourself. If you know that there are people out there to try to kill you, that makes zero sense. And so I, I just kept going. They kept trying to like give me other answers. And I'm like, no, but the stories are still different and they don't make sense. And so. And I imagine they're just pulling things just right off the top of their head, whatever. Not that they were trying to listen to your genuine questions and give it like a good, well thought out answer. It's just, well, say whatever we need to say to get her to shut up, kind of. Basically, yeah. I was like, what do we need to say for her to just stop? And so I, I didn't, though. I'm like, yeah, that still doesn't answer my question. Like, I was persistent. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so when the pastor, like, got frustrated and ran out of answers, he's like, well, whoever translated it from Korean to English made a mistake. It doesn't say that on that Jesus preached every day. You know, they made a mistake in the translation. So I'm like, okay, so this word here doesn't mean every day. He's like, no, it doesn't mean that. Okay. So what was I going to say? Right. I don't read Korean at that point. I'm like, okay. So I said, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with him at that point. But then I was determined to find out what that word in Korean meant in English. What and does it actually say? Right. Back then, like Google translate, the Korean uh, keyboard was not how it is now. It's much better. It has been updated a lot. And so I, <laughs> it's a funny story. So there's this town nearby where we live that has a very heavy Korean population and I asked my husband at the time, please drive me to Fort Lee. I'm going to find a Korean person that I'm going to point at this word. And they're going to tell me what it says in English. <laughs> you know, like just someone random who is not in the church, who has no interest whatsoever in, you know, what I end up believing about this one word that's going to tell me the truth. Because I'm like, I need to hear it from somebody else. And so some people wouldn't speak to me because they thought I was trying to recruit them. Um, I finally found like a couple in a diner that they were willing to talk to me. And I'm like, look, I'm not trying to recruit you. I'm not trying to read anything with you. I just want you to tell me this one word right here that I underlined. What does this one word mean in English? And they said it means every day. And I'm like, okay, so it can't mean any other word. Cause you know, some words can mean other words. Like you're short. It just says everything. They're like, yeah, that's the only, that's all it can mean. So that was enough for me. I'm like, okay, the pastor lied to me because he had no other there was no other answer. So he said what he needed to say to me so that I would go away and mm -hmm. then had that service where he basically called me stupid in front of everybody. to perhaps discourage me from continuing to question mm -hmm. that it did the opposite. Honestly, um, it just made things worse because now I'm like, okay, now he lied to me. So now I don't believe anything else that the church has told me. So now I'm going to have to go and look up everything else. So <laughs> it just spiraled from there. And, um, I remember coming across in the green book where it says that like salvation is by no other name except Jesus now. And even in the last days, right. We know all know that quote really well from the yep. green book. And I remember confronting my husband with, I'm like, look at what this says. I'm like, Ansan himself is saying that no other name except Jesus. What other explanation could there be for this? And at the time he didn't know because he didn't know that the book even said that. So of course he went back to the church asked them the question. I don't know what they told him, but they convinced him to take all of my books from me when I was sleeping and take them back to the church. I had them in the trunk of my car because that, you know, I had like all my notes from, you know, church and my Bible and everything was in the trunk because, you know, whenever I would go there, I'd have it with me. 
And yeah, so one day I go and I'm look, looking for my books and they're all gone. And I so I'm like, what happened to my books? He's like, the church says that you shouldn't have those books because if you're just going to use father's books to criticize them, then you shouldn't have them. And I'm like, but I paid for those books. What do you mean? Like, they're mine unless they're going to like, you know, give me my money back or whatever it is that they want to do. But I, I purchased those books. They belong to me. And how dare you steal them from me? Because the church told you to do that. I just thought that that was so wrong, <laughs> you know, like. At that point was when I realized that my husband was no longer the person who I married. He was completely different. Like he would have never done something like that before, ever. And I remember when I first confronted him about the stories that I'd read online. And when I decided not to go back to the church, I said to him, you know, promise me one thing. If you want to believe in Ansan Hong and the mother God, whatever it is, fine promise me you're not gonna let them break us up because from what i've i've read online that's where this is going and he's like no it's, i'm not gonna let that happen like i promise you a couple months later he was gone like it didn't take long at all i do think that he was conflicted about it but ultimately you know he believed what they said that the world was gonna end and even before we uh, went to the church, that was something I knew about him was that he was very afraid of death. Um, just, I remember him telling me that. Um, capitalized on that fear, sounds like. Right, yeah, because that's their, you know, their job is to find out what your vulnerabilities are and exploit them. And so that was his. And I think that that was his greatest fear was that the world was going to end soon and he was so afraid of death and of course you know they provide you with the way out of that why wouldn't he hang on to it if that was you know a real fear that he had so from that aspect i understood it but i still didn't make it right what they did you know and having warned him about it beforehand i thought that he would have you know kind of seen what was happening but he didn't and um I saw less and less and less of him even after that. He was getting home very, very late, one, two o'clock in the morning. I think I sent you the text messages that you saw what the, you know, communications between us were and how they, you know, um, he said something to the effect of like, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're only pushing me further away. Um, because he knew that I was still, you know, writing articles online, but, you know, when when the WMS decided to split us up, they left me with nothing but time, right? My husband wasn't home. I was really upset and depressed. And, and they lit a fire underneath you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was also my way of coping, right? So yeah. I'm helping other people. I'm getting all of my thoughts out, you know, on paper. <laughs> um and people are actually writing to us saying that the information is helping them to leave or helping them to understand what their family members actually involved in. So I didn't realize that the information was gonna reach so many people and that it was gonna actually help people to leave the cult, people that have been there for years. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, you know, they had made their choice and I'd made mine, you know, and I, I accepted that he was gone and I continued with my 
what I felt was my mission at the time was to continue helping others to avoid, like if I could have helped one person avoid the pain that I went through at that time, it would have all been worth it, you know? Turns out I helped more than one, <laughs> thank goodness. But um, no. that would have been all it would have taken at that time because it was just, what they did was so hurtful and so mean and just so, they just don't care about anyone yeah, else. They only so care about their agenda. Yeah. So it's interesting to me how quickly you kind of caught on and how quickly it seems like the, the doubts did um, start for you. Uh, and so I just wonder like, what, what do you think it is that makes, I guess that, that makes you different in that way than a lot of people. Cause so, there's so many people that it's, it takes so much more time for, for those things to really start to sink in to the point where they're questioning it to the extent that you were, I mean, your husband, for example, obviously was, um, not seeing it. Mm -hmm. You were both kind of you were experiencing the same exact things, but for whatever reason, what you were experiencing was caused you to go in this direction and your husband ultimately yeah. stayed in. And so what, what do you think was the difference there uh, for you? So I always tell people culture creatures of opportunity. You have to be at, a, at the right time in your life in order to be vulnerable to being indoctrinated. And I think that for me, my father had passed away uh, about a year and a half or so before I became involved in the church. And that was something that was, you know, bothered me a lot emotionally because we'd been very close. But as I started to study with them, the way their doctrine is sort of set up, my father didn't have a chance for salvation because he never celebrated the Passover. He never recognized Aung San Juan as God. He never believed in the mother. And she's supposedly the only one with the water of life. And, you know, you can, you know, the story changes now. You can only get salvation through her. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a service where the pastor said that the real reason that people cry at funerals is because they know that their loved one is going to burn in hell and that they don't have a chance for salvation. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that really bothered me. And he was mocking the fact that people have funerals and you know how they have like a lot of like limos or some, you know, following the, 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 what's it called? The hearse with the coffin in mm -hmm. it. He's like, look at that. It looks like a celebration. Why do they need like fancy cars and all, you know, they all follow each other and all this other stuff like a parade. He was making fun of like funerals and having buried my father not too long before that and having that been such a traumatic point in my life, like that really got to me. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, what? Like you're telling me I was crying at my dad's funeral because I thought he was going to burn in hell. That was the furthest thought from my mind at that time. You know, and it was sort of like this subconscious thing that, <laughs> you know, more gaslighting that this is what people they don't they don't know it. But that's the real reason why they're crying. Basically, they're making this stuff up is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And that didn't jive with me. And I think that that was probably that turning point for me where now I became sort of hyper vigilant and every little yep. thing that happened, I sort of put it in a file for later. And then I started mm. to notice other things like um, married couples becoming separated. One of the girls that I 
got kind of close to one day she just wasn't wearing her wedding rings and i asked her i said what happened to your ring she's like oh i lost it i'm like lost it that's odd she didn't seem like upset about it or anything and then i looked around and her husband was kind of gone i'm like okay and then she was gone a few months later she'd been moved to another location so i'm like that's weird <laughs> okay but you know again save that back there and even the deaconess that I was assigned to, I didn't even know that at the time, but then I started to pay attention to that too. Um, she told me the story about why she and her husband separated or her son's father. I can't remember if they were married or not. She told me that it was because he disagreed with the amount of time that she was spending in the church. And when she first told me the story, it didn't, you know, it didn't even affect me. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Because at that time, I wasn't spending that much time in the church. So I'm like, well, if you thought this was a lot of time, it must have not been a lot of time. Um, but um, just other little things, it just they sort of kept piling up. And then as, as, as the services became more redundant and repetitive, I started to read around the context of the, the verses that they lasered focused in on every service because I was sort of bored. Um, so then when I would read around the context, I'd be like, wait a minute, that's not what this verse is even talking about. So those were just more like little doubts to add to the pile. Um, and then other funny things happened that I just thought were ridiculous. Like I always tell this story. <laughs> so you know how they are with their cleanups, right? So I didn't go to this one. And the deaconess that was assigned to uh, be with me she had poison ivy on on one of her arms and we were in the sanctuary and she had like both of her arms like on the pew in the front. She's like, you know, this is a spiritual lesson. Um, and I said, well, what spiritual lesson is that? And she's like, you know, she's like looking at both her arms. She had poison ivy on one arm, none on the other. She's like, you know, that it basically is teaching me that like things could always be worse. And I said to her, I said, or it's just that you're right-handed and that's the arm that you reached for the poison ivy by mistake because that's your dominant side. <laughs> I was joking <laughs> around with her, but I was serious. I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm a nurse. So thinking mechanism of injury to me, it was just very obvious. No, it's just that you're right handed. I didn't see anything spiritual about it. Um, okay. And so <laughs> later on, she goes to tell the story again in front of another member. And she's like, so now she tells me why she thinks poison ivy is spiritual. She's like, I, you know, poison ivy is so spiritual because you know, there's no real cure for it. Like your body has to fight it off on its own. Again, my nurse brain kicks in and I'm like, well, there's no cure for herpes either. Do you think that that's spiritual too? <laughs> I couldn't even help it because at that point, what right. they were saying to me was so ridiculous. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Right. And I was sort of known as a little bit of like the rebellious person. I was originally assigned to Raymond's wife, Lauren, and she's such a sweetheart. And she's very mild mannered and quiet. And I later find out that she was like, assign her to somebody else. She's too much for me. <laughs> so that's how I ended up with the other person. But um, that that story always stands out in my mind, you know. And I wanted to give uh, the person that had the poison ivy some steroids for it to calm the itching down and stuff. And we had to go to the pastor's office to ask him permission. And I could not understand why. So I'm standing there in the pastor's office with her and she's asking him, is it okay if, you know, sister gives me medicine for this poison ivy? And I'm thinking to myself, 
what is supposed to happen in this conversation? Is he gonna now tell me that that's not the right medication, that the dose is wrong or whatever? Like what, what is happening here and why does she need his permission? She's an adult, you know? It was just very odd. So that was another thing that sort of like stuck out in my mind, right? <laughs> and then there was the spiritual hospital. Have you heard about that? No, I have not. Okay. Please so, tell me. Yes. So they had like this board on the wall and um, they had like, everybody was organizing teams and there was like a team leader. And then I noticed that there were like some names at the bottom that weren't, you know, in the columns like everyone else. I asked one of the girls, I'm like, um, well, who are those people at the bottom? So they tell me, well, this is the spiritual hospital and the team leaders are like the nurses. The pastor is the doctor. And um, all of the people on the team are the patients. And the ones at the bottom are in the NICU, which for people who don't know what the NICU is, it's the neonatal intensive care unit. It's where when you have premature babies, babies that are born underweight or ill that have not out, been out into the world yet go to this special intensive care unit called the NICU. And so they explained to me that those people needed more care because they had stopped coming to the church and the team leader needed to pay more attention to them and reach out to them more and try harder to get them to come back. And I was just like, that sounds ridiculous. I'm sorry. You know, like the whole, like the nurses and the doctor and the, you know, it was just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just seems so ridiculous mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, I, I can't, that just doesn't make any sense. And then when I was having those doubts, I was told, that I needed spiritual surgery. Guess where because, you belong, yeah. That's right, I am now, I need spiritual surgery and the pastor is the one to perform that surgery. So I had to redo all the studies with him only, with nobody else, which I started but did not finish for obvious reasons. But <laughs> those things, it just became more and more ridiculous the more things that they sort of made up you know, that were supposed to make sense that didn't make sense to me because that was my profession. And I'm like, this is, this is stupid, you know? Um, it was, and then I also saw like a board on the wall, like where the brothers were. It looked like that, you know, that board in second grade that the teacher would put like little stars next to your name. And when you got yeah. a certain stars, you get a prize. They literally had that for the brothers on the wall. And I thought, how childish is that? You know, um, so what I also then started to read about cults and how they function and why the leaders in a cult are encouraged, like they encourage the members or teach them to call them parents or mother or father. Right. So the reason is when you're a child, you do what your parents tell you to do without questioning them. You just do what you're told. And so it's the, that regression back into that mindset when I realized that that was what they were doing and I saw this like childish things around me and it, it really just, it, it became too much for me to ignore at a certain point. And when you brought these questions and doubts, you were just given nonsense answers or, or lies. Um, mm -hmm. But what was it? Cause you're, <laughs> I remember there was one missionary. I had a question about Romans and I can't remember exactly. I'd have to go back and look. But it was something about the first and the last Adam. Something that about their interpretation about that verse didn't make sense to me. And when the missionary could not give me an answer, you know, what she said to me, she said, what's your real problem? You know, you have what other people in here wish they had. You have your husband here and you have your son here. Other people wish that they had their families here and you and you have that. So, you know, what what is your real issue? I was like, what are you talking about? I'm asking about this verse. I don't understand how you guys are putting this together. 
you know, it was like they were telling me that two plus two equaled five. So I was more like talking about specific order of things in the Bible and the way they were described. And she turned it around on me. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? Yeah. And that's, that was another thing that I later read about cults, that the, the doctrine is infallible. So if you find fault in it, you're the problem, yeah. not the doctrine. And it's a, it's a defense mechanism, too, in them, because, you know, you're, you're starting to poke at that, like these things that are so central to them. So it, it creates this, they're, they get uncomfortable when they mm -hmm. realize, oh, like, this is a good question. Obviously, they're not going to tell you it's a good question right. uh, b because they have to, you know, try to maintain this, this story that they're telling themselves. And so, so it just, it makes them defensive, which leads to them just being angry. So they're going to, you know, attack you, attack your character. Well, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, you must have a pride issue or you have some deep underlying sin that's, that's causing this. It, it has nothing to do with the validity or the, the logic of the question. It's just, no, um, then you're, you're told they don't like it. So, yeah. Yeah, you're using your own mind, and that's the problem. You're using your own mind to interpret the doctrine. You're using your own mind to read the Bible. And I'm like, no, I'm using my own mind to listen to what you're saying, and, and it doesn't make sense to me. Make it make sense. I'm asking the question, you know? It was, it was really rough because once you start to, you know, use your common sense, which is the enemy, by the way, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you stay there without – than just shutting that part of your brain off. You can't have your common sense working and still believe in, in the doctrine that they teach you. Yeah. You can't. No, you can't. So how did your husband then deal with his doubts? Did you kind of see that process? Um, how did he kind of get from where it sounded like he was, you were kind of on the same page that you were done. Yeah. Uh, how did he get from there back to where it all ended up? So they kept inviting him back and he, you know, wasn't able to be firm about not returning. And the more time they got with him, the more they were able to, you know, re-indoctrinate him and have him re regurgitate the same information. And while that process was going on, it was rough to see because he would come home and he would sort of be in this like weird, almost like a trance where he was walking around and it was like not saying hello or anything, but you could tell that his, like, you know, the wheels were turning, right? So I said to him one day, I was like, are you okay? Like, what are you thinking about? He's like, I'm thinking about, you know, the service today and, this, you know, the Bible study. I'm like, okay. So it was just constantly in there. And then he'd get home late and then still read more from their books. So he was barely sleeping. And then he'd get up at five o'clock to pray. His alarm would go off. And then he might be late to work because of that. It was it was really bad. It was it was very difficult to watch because there was nothing I could do about it. They had already just like it was like invasion of the body snatchers. Like the, he was just gone. Nothing I said to him like got in at all. Anything I told him, he would go back, tell the pastor, and then he'd come back and be like, "Well, the pastor said this, this, and this." And I'm like, well, why did the pastor say that to you? Did you ask him about what I asked you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, why is it that we can't ever have a private conversation as a husband and wife? Why is it that everything we talk about needs to then go be discussed with the pastor at the church? That's weird. You know, I mean, we have no privacy in the marriage anymore. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem to bother him at all, that part of it. So is he still in? 
as far as I know, he is still in. He's a deacon, and he has a child with um, his new wife. I also heard that when she got pregnant, he was demoted, but I'd rather you hear that story from the person who observed it and, and learned it firsthand. But one thing that um, I did find odd was that in finding out that some former members that I would come to meet later knew him in the church, they would talk about how mean he was and how rude he was to certain people and all of that. And that was like, it was weird hearing that because he wasn't like that. He was a very gentle person, very nice, you know? And so to hear that he was like mean and like rebuking people publicly in front of other members and, and you know, he basically turned into to that. Yeah. It was hard to hear, you know, and it's sad because he was a nice person and they turned him into, you know, another recruitment bot, I guess. But it's sad. It really is. Yeah, it's it's hard to really grasp just the weight of how hard I think it would be to be in a situation like yours or, or to be, you know, uh, to, to sit, like you said, like the invasion of the, the body snatchers kind of scenario. I mean, obviously you're saying that somewhat tongue in cheek, but in, in reality, it's like, it's just, it's just as traumatic of a, of a thing going on here. It's just, you're literally just forced to kind of watch this person that you care about, that you've built a life with, that is, you know, everything to you, literally be uh stolen and, and, mm -hmm. and put into not a physical prison but but uh one that's almost yeah. worse in a way and it's just yeah it's just i think it's it's hard without just sitting here and, and hearing stories like yours to really understand just how just like you said the word you used earlier uh malicious cult groups like this can be and why i think it is so important to, to tell these stories um and to to do whatever can be done to to just help people understand what what how this group really operates when you when you really step back and, and look at it and look at these these stories um and, and I, I suppose the worst thing um one of the worst things about all that is is how uh for for those that were still in the church that you though were made out to be the villain you were the one not not only did they take your husband from you but then they create this you know you know they drag your name in the dirt and, and um demonize you uh no they so, literally called me satan at one point yeah and they had a whole presentation in front of the congregation. They showed my picture. They showed the picture of Tyler. They had done background checks on us. They, it's so bizarre. Like what normal church would do something like that? Exactly. Yeah. Like, love, have you ever love heard your of enemies? Doing a, right, a, a presentation about a critic. Like there are plenty of websites against Catholicism. Let's say as an example. Yeah. They aren't out there suing them. They don't care, <laughs> you know, because yeah. people have the right to their own opinion. They aren't concerned with that, you know. But this church, because it's a cult, they do not tolerate any dissent yeah. at all. And so, you know, fast forward a few months later. Um, so the last day that I was there when I was told I could not return was April 22nd, 2011. And we were served with the first lawsuit December 11th of 2011, I believe it was filed. 
And I remember the first thing I thought to myself, I mean, we sort of anticipated it a little bit because if, you know, taking my ex or husband away from me wasn't enough and that wasn't stopping me from talking. Mm-hmm. They tried to cease and desist letters. They tried to have the server company like take down our website for violation of terms. When that didn't work, what was left, right? And the the first thing I thought to myself was like, well, I guess the world isn't going to end in a few days because it's December 11th of 2011 and you're filing a lawsuit that you know is not going to be resolved in the next few days. Like, this is insane. <laughs> and yeah, I mean... That that I'm sorry. I, I just want to stop you there because that's that's yeah. probably one of the main things that, that that stood out to me so much in listening to your story before that this was so they um, filed this lawsuit against you mm-hmm. literally a couple weeks before what they had been saying was going to be the end of the world. So yeah. when you just think about that for a few moments, you realize that just how what what's going on here like why Not only that but they had also applied for um build, building variances in the town of ridgewood and i'd gone to a couple of the um, town hall meetings and they the plans that they had for the building they were going to like add another story and all this other stuff mind you this is september of 2011 even if you're teaching the world's gonna end and everything is gonna burn why are we building something that's going to burn yeah that may well, also made no sense. And while all the while they're they're manipulating people with the fear of 2012 being the end of the world, they're manipulating them to give up their jobs, to give who knows how much of their their income to the church, to you know, to do all sorts of of destructive things to their lives, yeah. because 2012 was the end, mm-hmm. and, and nothing else mattered, you know. Right. But, your marriage didn't matter. Like they, they said, you know, it doesn't, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Um, but yet they're making plans to, to, you know, go to court against people like mm-hmm. you and, and to, to add to their buildings. And so, yeah, yeah, it's messed up. It, it made absolutely no sense. And then <laughs> to read the things that they sued me over, I, I couldn't believe that they were saying that it was a lie. You know, having experienced it myself, to me, it was like the ultimate gaslighting, right? It was like, none of this happened. Um, They said, there's no way that her husband was in the middle of a three-day fast. We don't force people to fast. We don't force children to fast. Like, we never have any studies that are longer than an hour. Knowing that I sat through six-day creation, which was literally six hours long, (laughs) Daniel's prophecy, three hours, um, that they that they don't um, separate um, men and women during the services. Their they pictures said on that? Their yes. <laughs> in the Virginia complaint, they did. Uh, and they repeated it again, again in their New Jersey complaint. <laughs> and that there's no way that um, my ex-husband and I didn't study together because we studied together often. That was a lie. The first study that he did when he w- came to the church, I did with him. And that was the last one that we ever did together. And they, sep- they separated you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And um, just all- and then they also blamed me for not getting their variance approved for the building, you know, the construction. And when we looked into it, they withdrew their own application. And we got the letter from the town 
but they're blaming me for not getting their approval when I didn't even speak publicly at the hearing. I tried to, their lawyer objected, so I didn't get to say anything. But they blamed me for them not getting their variance, but they withdrew their own application. Um, just all kinds of like weird things. They took some statements I made out of context to make them sound like I was saying something else that I wasn't. This, this, this was the statement. The church was said to have been using the same mind control tactics used on POWs in North Korea. I cannot ignore the similarities to what I experienced at the church. She's saying she experienced similar mind, North Korean mind control techniques in the church that this person says was used on POWs in North Korea. This is a statement of fact. This isn't even mixed opinion. She says she, made, she had these experiences. Can I just remind Mr. Santori that it is sanctionable and, and uh, punishable for him to be making false representations to the court. His statement does not say what he says it says. What it says is, quote, the most disturbing information that I had come across was that the WMSCOG was said to have been using the same mind control tactics used on US prisoners of war in North Korea. I also learned about Robert J. Lifton's thought reform model. When I finally read an article that explained how the Jehovah's Witnesses used the same tactics, referring back to Robert Lifton, to control their members, I cannot ignore the similarities to what I had experienced in the WMSCOG. She's talking about the Lifton model. And it's I, a different I, because I, 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 the North Korean model implies people are being held prisoner. And the, the breakthrough work that Robert Lifton did was he was a psychologist who discovered you can get in, you can control people and get influence over them without putting them in prison the way they did in North Korea. That's his big breakthrough. So she's saying, you know, I, I learned about the North Korean stuff, then I learned about how Robert Lifton modified it, and then I related it to what my experience is. It, it was very bizarre. And then, you know, they sued me in the state of Virginia, which I don't live in, and I had never even been to at that time. Um, so the case was dismissed against me because you can't be sued in a state that you either A, don't live in, or B, have minimum contacts, business contacts. Let's like, say so you do business in that state, that would give them jurisdiction over you. Um, but like for you, you live in Kansas, right? You can't be sued in New Jersey for something, you know? Um, that's just not the way it works. And so I was dismissed from that case um, after a few months. And then they received an unfavorable ruling in that case that was very important. So they wanted an order from the court prohibiting Tyler and I from publishing any of the information that we got as a result of the lawsuit online. <laughs> and the judge in Virginia, Judge Maxfield, ruled that because they had chosen to sue Tyler and I in a public forum, that they did not have the luxury of then suing us in a public forum and then keeping all of the information a secret, that he was not going to grant their confidentiality order. Um, they dropped their lawsuit shortly after that and then refiled in New Jersey, hoping that they would get better uh, treatment here. But this is a church who Ms. Cologne has decided based on her own authority, and Mr. Grosswald has, has clearly has as well, is a cult. It's their opinion, and now they're forcing their religious beliefs on it's their, opinion. their opinion. Why are you suing? It's their opinion. The cult, that it's a cult is an opinion, yes. You're suing over that. Yet now he asserts that and, and yet now he is, no, we're not suing over that. We're suing over all of the factual allegations that give rise to the conclusion that it's an opinion, that, that to the conclusion that the church is a cult. It started all over again. So who who's Tyler? I've heard you mention him a couple of times. So Tyler was, um, so a, he was Catholic. He lived in Virginia. He had been approached by WMS members 
um, and that's how he learned about them. And he'd already had a, a like a apologetic site about Catholicism up already. And so he he wrote a couple of articles about like Constancy not abolishing the Sabbath. Um, and I forget what other, you know, topics about, you know, God will never die, but Anton was dead, you know, simple stuff like that. And then he decided that, you know, the WMS needed its own like blog website that, you know, it was a much bigger topic to address. Um, and I met him through that article about Constantine. That was one of the few things that were out there that contradicted world mission doctrine. And the article made sense. And so I contacted him through the website and we became very close friends. Um, and he had registered the examining site, but not really written much content for it. And so he said, look, you know, it's already there. You can write the content, you know, we can put it up together. And so we worked on it together for a while. And then, you know, he, you know, took a different direction after the lawsuit because he lost his whole life savings defending that lawsuit. It cost him $90,000. And he was left with nothing after that. And he was never even a member. So and just like, dropped the suit. So he's just somebody that, so you and him were both, was it the same case? Were you sued individually? Was it? We were sued I mean, together I, in Virginia okay. because the site was technically under his name. I see. So he mm -hmm. was just some, like a Christian guy, I assume, that just was decided to make a site. Probably kind of somewhat similar. It almost sounds more in line with what I'm kind of yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. Kind of my story that I just came across these guys and I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. that's a bunch of bull crap. I'm going to tell people about it. And, yeah. and it sounds like he had a hard time with that. So, so he fought them and did he win? Did he lose? What happened there? So because they got the unfavorable ruling from Judge Maxfield, they dropped the lawsuit. And in the state of Virginia, they have a law that says that you you do have like one chance to do a non-suit, which means to drop your own lawsuit and then nothing happens. Um, in New Jersey, it's not like that. But so they dropped the lawsuit with no consequence. So he spent $90,000 defending a lawsuit that they just ended up dropping. So those 90 grand were gone. And there was nothing he could really do about it in Virginia. So um, they sued both of us again in New Jersey. But here they were having the same problem. Tyler was n never really went to New Jersey, didn't have the minimum contacts in New Jersey. So it was going to be the same thing the other way around. They weren't going to be able to really proceed with the lawsuit in New Jersey for the same reason they weren't able to pursue proceed with the lawsuit with me in Virginia. He could have perhaps had a claim against them at that point. But let me tell you, fighting them in court is not for the faint of heart. He couldn't do it. And I'm not saying he's weak in any way, but he went through a lot. And, you know, fighting a group that he wasn't even ever a part of and losing his like life savings in the process was traumatic for him. And he he said, I, I can't do it anymore. Um, so, you know, he took his life in a different direction at that point. And, you know, I continued yeah. to cite on my own and yeah but it was sad because like I, I felt so bad like he he was doing it out of the goodness of his heart and you know to defend his own beliefs and everything and you know they ruined his life too and he wasn't even a member so here they are just ruining people's lives left and right and it's only making it more upsetting to me at that point you know yeah. it's just like come on like how how much more are they gonna do 
yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I, I just think I, I actually just had a couple places pull up, but like first Corinthians six, seven, that it, where in, you're probably familiar with, with this maybe, but, but it's where Paul's directly talking to, you know, Christians about lawsuits. And he, and he says that, um, the fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. And he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? So he's saying like, it, it would be better to just completely accept, even if you are in the right, just accept it. Like, yeah. don't, don't retaliate, don't fight back. Um, and then it's just, you read, you know, you, you read Jesus talking about how to respond to your enemies and, and, Right. He says, love your enemies. He says, pray for those who persecute you, pray right. and do good to them. And so it's just how it, it's just another one of those moments where you hear about what the WMSCOGs, how, how they, you know, respond to their enemies. And, and it just makes me ask, like, are we even reading the same Bible here? Like, do we, do we have a, a different Bible that we're, we're looking at? Um, because how, how as an organization that is, again, is claiming to be so centered around this, this book, can you, uh, you know, completely ignore these things that are some of the most central themes and, and, and like obvious teachings that you can, you can get out of it. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think there, there's, there's this sense in which the fact that they have um, sued people like you is just uh, again it's just like this immediate like oh okay well that's that you can check that that group off the box of which which religion out there has it right like it's obviously this one obviously is not the one that is of god and the one that is not really following you know the teachings of jesus or whatnot yeah and now they claim to be the only ones that follow the bible or they throw around that phrase like well it's because you don't believe the bible like if you don't believe their doctrine and I'm like, you don't believe the Bible because you don't follow what it says either. Like it just, <laughs> um, that's an argument that sort of goes nowhere. But you're right um, for a group that does claim to be, you know, the ultimate in following the Bible and uh, the ultimate in Bible interpretation. They get a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you have, you know, you claim that God is at the head of your organization. I keep saying this. There is zero room for error zero because if she knows everything and she's perfect that means even the people under her can't make mistakes because technically she would know that they were going to make those mistakes before they made them and she could fix them if she wanted to and so yeah there's zero room for error so there's no reason to change on some home's writings there's no reason to delete chapters from his book um you know there's no reason to claim that she's never going to die and that the 144,000 are going to ascend later with her and then go back and delete those things from the books because, you know, she's probably going to die soon. And then what are you going to do? You know, so there's that more gaslighting, you know, and it's just, no, this is not God because you've got to, you guys have made too many mistakes and you can't even make one if she's God. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's the bottom line. I mean, I'm dealing with a civil case. I'm not dealing with your clients feel badly that this happened or they've been wrong. I understand that. There are lots of religious or or political organizations or organizations in general that have negative commentary 
which is very painful and maybe hurtful to some of its members. But they don't bring lawsuits. <laughs> um, th this is called America, and that is what happens in our democracy and freedom of speech.